Well, years ago, I went on a mission trip to, uh, to Peru, and I went, uh, it was in the Amazon uh, region uh, of, of Peru, and it was, a, it was a wonderful mission trip for, for a lot of reasons, a lot of things I'll never forget. Um, one of those, though, was kind of the initial welcome that we received from a village that we, we visited. So we, we landed, we drove up to, uh, to a place where we got on this, this big boat, uh, and we began this several-hour trek up, up the Amazon River to the village that we were going to be uh, staying uh, at for, for, for the week. And uh, as, we, as, we, uh, as we docked at, at the village after several hours of, of, of making our way upriver, um, we were welcomed. Uh, and that is, it's an understatement. The sort of buzz that was in the village, and particularly by the Christians there, were it was, it was unique. We were, we were greeted with warnings about poisonous snakes, <laughs> um, some of them which weren't true, but they liked to watch us squirm. <laughs> um, but there were some poisonous snakes. They warned us about those, about spiders that could kill you. Uh, they showed us uh, the hole in the ground uh, that was our bathroom for, for the week. Uh, the first night that we were there, uh, I think I've shared this story before, we heard some animal being eaten right next to us. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was scary. It was all pretty overwhelming uh, for, for us, but not nearly as humbling and overwhelming as the love that we were shown by the Christians who lived in that village. These were people that we had, had, never, had never met before, and by our standards, really had basically next to, next to nothing. But that the, the love and the generosity and the hospitality that they showed us was unlike anything that I had really ever experienced before. They insisted that we slept in their huts while they slept on a dirt porch right out front. They, they dug us our own hole in the ground uh, maybe that's because they didn't want us being near them. I don't know, but it was, it, was, it was kind of them to do that for us. They, that first day, they, they went hunting for us to find a special meal, and they brought back some beast that I had I'd never seen before. I don't know what it was. It was some huge rat-looking thing, but, it was, but they brought it back, and when they, they had it on the pole coming into the town, into the village, everyone was cheering because God had provided for them so that they could share with the people that the Lord had brought to them. They, they, were, they were excited that they got something that they could, they could share. And in one sense, we didn't, we didn't have anything in common with these brothers and sisters. We spoke different languages, had different lifestyles, different cultural traditions. But what we did have in common transcended it all. And they had been loved by Jesus. And it had changed them in such a way that now they were willing to share their lives, their, their material, everything that they had. They shared themselves with us in a way that commended the gospel really in an extraordinary level. They, they welcomed us around, into their homes, around their table, and into their lives. And that is the sort of love that is commended and commanded in Romans chapter 12. This morning we are in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 9 through 13. We're going to get a portrait of the kind of love that God calls his people to have. As you're turning there, Romans chapter 1 through 11, 
We're told what God has done for us in Christ, that he's extended us mercy. God has sent his son to lay down his life for sinners like us and then to rise from the dead and to give new life in Christ for those who will turn from their sin and trust in him. And then chapters 12 through 16 is how God calls us to respond to the mercy that we have received in Christ. That in light of God's great mercy, we are called to be living sacrifices for him. And right out of the gate, he's going to address in chapter 12, verse 9, this call to love because we have been so loved by God. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If we're going to summarize what this text is, is calling us to do this morning, it might go something like this. Delray Baptist Church, imitate Jesus by showing genuine love, zealous service, and generous sharing. Delray Baptist, imitate Jesus by showing genuine love, zealous service, and generous sharing. We'll arrange this sermon in three Three sections, love genuinely, serve zealously, and share generously. Let's look at love genuinely first in verses 9 through 10. And again, he begins by saying, let love be genuine. Love is the distinguishing mark of the Christian When Jesus was instructing his disciples in his final time with them, in John chapter 13, he said, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying that the way that people will know that that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that that he truly is who, who God the Father says that he is, the way that the world will know that we are his people isn't by our t-shirts, isn't by our bumper stickers, isn't by our Instagram bios, isn't by boycotting Disney or Starbucks or whoever we're mad at right now. He says the way that you're going to know The way they're going to know that you are my disciples is that you're going to love one another. So in light of that, let love be genuine. You could translate this this word for genuine a couple different ways. So the NIV says, let love be sincere. The New Living Translation, don't just pretend to love one another. The NASB says, let love be without hypocrisy. 
the word that's used here, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful word picture. In, in, in Greek culture, plays were kind of the, the, the primary form of, of entertainment. And, and the way that it would go is that a, a, an actor would come out in one scene wearing a, a mask. And then it would come out in another scene wearing a different mask, pretending to be a different character. The actors were called Hippocrates. They were mask wearers. They were pretenders. They were pretending to be someone else. God says, don't love like that. Don't don't have a love that is disingenuous, that is insincere, that is hypocritical, and that you, you wear a mask and pretend to be something that you aren't. He says, don't put on a show. Don't be a, a poser with your love, right? Don't walk past somebody in church and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, God bless you. How you doing? Oh, better than I deserve. Oh, man, good to see you today, praying for you. And they walk by and you be like, I hate that guy. Man, she wears me out. That is a hypocritical, mask-wearing sort of front. It's not real. It's it's a mask-wearing religion that that covers a true heart that we have for for other people that doesn't love other. It pretends to love other people. You know people are tempted that way, right? What tempts you to hide behind a mask and withhold true, genuine love. For some of us, it's, it's selfishness, right? We just, we just kind of focus on ourselves, what we want, what we feel like we need, what we feel like we deserve, what our rights are, and we're so consumed with ourselves that we, we just can't get past ourselves to love others. Some of us, it's, it's a self-righteousness, right? We're just always pretty sure everyone else is a little bit wrong. And then it's our job to make sure we keep everybody else in, in line. And, and maybe, yes, maybe, maybe we call it discernment, right? I'm not sure it's what the Lord always calls it, though. Maybe it's suspicion. Maybe you've been hurt along the way, whatever it may, may be, but you've got this, this sneaking suspicion that you, can't, you just can't really trust other people. And so you're going to keep this distance in your heart from, from others. Maybe it's shame that you're afraid to love because if you start really opening yourself up and giving of yourself and opening your life in the way that this text is calling you to, others are going to see you in all of your mess and you're ashamed of your, your sin and your fails, your failures. They're going to be seen, right? Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's safety. Maybe you feel like it's, it's just safer to not try and love people because when you love people, you get hurt. Some of you have been hurt, hurt greatly by others, and because of that, it just, it's hard to love genuinely. I just want to encourage you, do not allow the sin of others to hinder the love that God desires to give you through others. He's bringing people into your life to, to help you to see him Hiding from love to try to protect yourself only hurts you more. Listen to this phenomenal quote from C.S. Lewis. 
To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. It feels safe sometimes to just not give yourself to others. God's grace says there's a different, there's a different way. It's not safe that way. It's not God's way that way. Our church must be a church that doesn't hide from each other. And we can have lots of reasons why we'd be tempted to do so, but God calls us by faith to lean upon Jesus and lean upon one another for strength to keep risking and keep loving for our own good that we need, but also for the good of, of others. God calls us, verse 9, to abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. These are, these are passionate words. The word abhor, it means to, to hate violently. The word cling to, it's, it's, it's used for the way that a man is called to leave his father and mother and hold fast to or cling to his wife. Now, these, these commands are, are true generally for all Christians, but especially in relationships here. This is all in the context of love genuinely. So he's telling us here to abhor, to hate, to detest gossip slander, lying to one another or about one another, deceitfulness in relationships, stealing from one another, betraying one another, being calloused toward one another, being indifferent toward one another. He says, hate those things. Don't hate the people that do them. Hate, hate, the, hate those things because they hurt relationship. They destroy genuine love. Rather, hold fast to or cling to what is good. Embrace, embrace the culture of encouragement. Encourage one another day by day. Love that. This week, Justin Hughes, I don't know where he is, he was, he was reading through some books for the internship, and he was taking pictures of things that were encouraging and texting them to other people. Saying, hey, I read this and I thought of you. Hold fast to that sort of stuff. Make that, when you read something and, and the Lord brings somebody to mind, text them, say, hey, I thought of you. Anything I could pray for you about, I just prayed for you. Pray for them, don't lie about it. Pray for them and say, I just prayed for you. Anything I could pray for you about. Right? Hold fast to that. Hold fast to protecting one another. I've been so encouraged to watch the way that so many of you have stood up for one another in, in hard things. Many of you elders entering into really difficult situations, and many of you members joining. I'm, I'm, I think particularly of, of, of one particular sister who was in, a, in an abusive marriage and the way that people entered in and tried to help. 
Hold fast to that kind of stuff. It's risky. It's scary. It costs stuff. It costs you time and energy and effort, but it's, it's worth it. That's what genuine love looks like. It enters in like Jesus entered in. Do we serve one another? Hold fast to that where you're sacrificially making meals for one another, helping one another move, raking leaves, mowing lawns, watching animals, doing what, just loving people. You laugh. You've got a couple animals. Somebody helps you. That's real. Like, that's real love, I'll tell you. Those are all examples of things that I've heard happen here. This, this happens, right? Hold fast to sharing with one another, money, homes, cars. Hold fast to the discipling relationships, the, the energy that, that, that goes into reading together and praying together and confessing sins together and evangelizing together. Hold fast to that. He's like, that, that fosters genuine love. That's, that's warm, life-giving love. Just what is, again, he says here, love one another with brotherly affection. It's a devoted, uh, tender-hearted love. The word there for love is philadelphos. We get Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Now listen, y'all, I've been to an Eagles game. Ain't no love in Philly. <laughs> I've, I've been there, okay? And may they lose their first round game. But anyway, <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but that's not the way that it's supposed to be in the church. In the church, there's supposed to be love. Why? Because it's brotherly love. It's sisterly love. It's family. We are a family. Whether you like it or not, you're a family. Brothers and sisters. Dysfunctional family? Maybe a little bit. Some especially so. But you know what? There's grace for that. I'm among that, right? So are you. <laughs> Remember, we're all somebody's crazy uncle. Uh, or aunt. Anyway, like the, the, the point, though, is that we are a family. It's, it's Philadelphia's kind of love. It's family, tender-hearted love. And grace enables us to be able to love one another. Be very certain. If you are a member of this church, God has providentially arranged you with this family for this season, however long you're here. There's nobody here by accident. It's all by appointment. And one way to cultivate this sort of devoted love to one another is to adopt the challenge of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, too often, churches can become marked by a culture of self-promoting competition, right? I'm going to get my music style, right? I'm going to get the recognition that I deserve. I'm going to get the opportunity that I deserve. I'm going to get what I want here. God says, none of that. This is my house. That's not how it works in my house. In my house, you want to compete about something? Compete by showing honor to one another. Speak well of one another. Y'all want to gossip? Gossip well about others. That's one of my favorite things to hear is be like, you know what? Did you hear what so-and-so did? And how they just, they laid down their life and they sacrificed for this person. That's good gossip. Do that. Brag on what God is doing in one another. Have you seen how much this person has grown? They're, they're not the same person they were when they got here. God is changing them. Outdo one another in that sort of showing honor. Well, how do we, how do we, how do we love with a genuine, passionate, protecting, affectionate sort of love? How do we, how do we have fuel for that? Well, you, you look to Jesus. 
John 15, 12. This is my commandment, said Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than a man or that someone should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the incarnation of perfect love. He has put on display what love looks like. So if you want strength and you want wisdom about how to love, you study him. You look at him and you imitate him. He shows us a love that is selfless and sacrificial. Just listen to this from Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And that Greek word nothing is nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition, what can I get out of this, or conceit, this is about me, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interest, what do I want, what can I get, but also to the interest of others. How do we do that? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, so this is what God is cultivating in you if you're in Christ. And he says, think of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So rather than clinging to his rights as God, he laid aside his rights and humbled himself and went low to serve, to show love. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what is genuine love in the church supposed to look like? Like that. Imagine the culture of a church if we're like, I'm not here to just get what I can get. I'm not just here to sing the songs I want to sing. I'm not just here to make sure that people are taking care of me. I've come to show you the love, the generous, sacrificial, genuine love of Jesus that risks and is willing to be hurt because I want you to see Christ in me and I need to see Christ in you. That sort of love kills hypocrisy. There's just no need to pretend because what matters most is what God thinks about you. That keeps us humble. Nobody struts around. Be like, oh, I've, look at me. No, everybody's like, look at Jesus. It makes us holy. It makes us hate things that are evil. Anything that would cool our love for one another. We're like, I gotta stop. I gotta stop that. I can't say that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I shouldn't have said that about that person. Brothers and sisters, love genuinely. Secondly, serve zealously. Serve zealously. Chapter 12, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So not only is the church to be marked by genuine love for each other, but also zealous service of God and for God. Verse 11, serve the Lord. The, the word there for service, it means a, a, a it describes the humble posture of one who is submitted to the, the oversight of another. It's a word that's used for servants and slaves. For the Christian, it means that we are to be dedicated and devoted to doing the, the will and the work of, of God, both individually, me and my relationship with God, and corporately, us in our relationship with God. And as we go about doing the, the, the work of the Lord, there is going to be a temptation 
to, to resist. There, there's going to be, there's gonna be a, 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 a hesitation sometimes to engage. That's why he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Because it's a real temptation to get, to get lazy in the Lord. The sloth, sloth, I mean, if you don't know what a sloth is, it's a well-known animal that moves very slowly and is kind of known for being, well, unmotivated to do much. If you just need something to watch later, just Google the Zootopia sloth DMV scene. It's one of the best things in modern movie history um, where the sloth, you know, they're in a hurry trying to do something and, and, they, and the sloth is like, mm, just Anyway, um, no shade if you work at the DMV. Thank you for your service to our community. But uh, <laughs> it's pretty true. <laughs> I've been to some DMVs. He says, whatever your service of the Lord looks like, it's not supposed to look like that. The, the word means to be lazy, to neglect, to hold back, to be idle, to lag behind. Here it's in reference to zeal, which means eagerness or diligence. Don't be lazy toward the Lord. The Lord has called us to do things and be about his business. He says, don't be, don't be lazy in your relationship with the Lord in the way that it's, it shows up in your giving of your life toward others and toward his, his work. And there are real temptations to slothfulness, right? Some of us, when you hear of opportunities to serve, first thing you think is, well, especially when a church gets this size, this is about the worst size for a church in one sense because it's just past where you're like, oh, I should probably do that or nobody else will, to the like, somebody else is going to get that. One of the reasons that we can become slothful is we just assume somebody else is going to do it. Or we get into this weird idea that's not in the Bible that I'm only going to do things that I feel led to do. Like, what verse is that? Like, there's no, like, I, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do children's ministry because I don't feel led to do that. What verse is that? What do you mean you don't feel led to do that? We said there's a need. Now you should feel led to say, oh, well then maybe I should be the answer to that prayer. That's, yeah, it's quiet. It's true though. Like, so don't just go on whether you feel like you want to do something. Right? Like the cross was not comfortable. Christ calls us to, to serve. Or maybe we're just unwilling to sacrifice in order to serve. Listen, I've got my time, I've got my, I've got my, I only have so much time and so much energy, I don't, I'm not going to give to these needs that are here. Or maybe it's because we're ambitious about other pursuits. If you haven't read the book of Haggai recently, it's a, it's a wonderfully short minor prophet where the Lord comes and he reproves the people because his, the work on his temple lays, it's dormant while their houses are being built and he says, consider your ways. Or maybe we've become lazy in the Lord because we're just ensnared to the world's escapes. Social media and sports and shows and games. Right? Some of us just have misplaced ambition. Right? A pastor friend of mine told me about a, a guy that he was supposed to, to meet because um, he, he wanted to talk about some pastoral pastoral issues that were going on, and um, he said he was driving in to go to the meeting, and he drove past the golf course, and he saw the guy that he was supposed to meet out practicing uh, his, his, his wedge shot in sleet that was coming down almost horizontal, 
He's out there with, you know, like he had the, the gear on. He's just trying to work on his shot, get in a little bit before his, his meeting. So he shows up to the meeting, um, and he says to my pastor friend, he's like, you know, you know I, I need some help. I'm really struggling. I, my spiritual disciplines, I'm just not very disciplined. And my pastor friend looked at him, he goes, what? <laughs> he goes, you might be the most disciplined human on the planet. <laughs> like, you're out there working on a, your chipping wedge or whatever it is in the middle of this sleet storm. You're very disciplined about the things that you love. Are you slothful toward the Lord? For instance, if I've been reading a book this week called Overcoming Apathy, to which I thought, I'm going to read this for somebody else because I'm not apathetic, I'm zealous. Ouch, it was really convicting, thoroughly convicting. And one of the things he talks about in there is how we are all ambitious for things, and it's not always the right things, right? He said in there, he said something like, if you, if you work 60 hours a week, keep up with the social media account, you know your sports stats, and maybe you watch a TV show, but you rarely read your Bible, it means you might be zealous for the wrong things, for worldly things, and that you become apathetic toward heavenly things. I think it's at least worth worth checking our heart and having conversations with one another, right? Now listen, Delray Baptist Church, many, many of you serve zealously and sacrificially, and it's, it's, it's clear. And there's many that are happening in ways behind the scenes that, that, that many just don't know, and the Lord certainly knows. But at the end of the year, the, the elders did a little bit of just kind of checking on how things are, are going in a couple areas, and one of these was in, in serving, so we currently have 391 members, 369 in the area, 171, as far as we can tell, have not been active in any kind of service that's, that we can tell in any ministry in the past year. That's 46% of the church. Now again, the Lord knows what each person is doing, the Lord knows what's going on behind the scenes. And there's many of us, I know, I know many of the people who are in that kind of situation, there are good reasons where they just need to be cared for in this season. And that's, that's a reality, certainly real. But that's not all that's going on. And that there's many of the smaller percentage who are serving in many areas where they probably need to back off a little bit. Listen, this is not intended to, to call shame, but to take stock, or as, as God would say through Haggai, consider your ways. Some of you serve so much that you do need to pull back, because your identity is not in your service, in what you can do for God. Like, that's not what this is about. But this is about that we all have limited time, energy, and resources, and God calls us to use it to, it's, it's right here, it's in the verse, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I just want to encourage all of us, right, to consider how are we doing in this area and to at least process it with someone. Talk about, hey, here's how I'm using time, energy, and effort, and 
how can I, how can I grow or how can I, can I, and growth may be back off, but for some of us, certainly some of us, it is to, to step up and be all the more committed in areas of, of need, to be fervent in spirit, it says right here. The, the, the word means to show enthusiasm about, to be committed to completely, boiling over with excitement. Service of the Lord takes various forms. Some are formal, some are informal. Um, I mean, just in this, this past week, um, somebody texted me yesterday and just um, Dennis Stocker and uh, Eric Pelletier and uh, Anthony Nally. They were just raging about how you brothers stepped up and really helped with the men's breakfast that happened this past week and how your initiation there just, just blessed a lot of people. So pra- praise the Lord. We, we know these things are, are happening. Or... I don't know if y'all noticed, but the hill got cleared. Praise the Lord. Okay, it's good. But when it got cleared, I'm not sure if you noticed, it looked like a landfill. There was so much trash on the hillside. Well, Andrew Butterball and Joshua McGarry rallied a bunch of young men from the youth group, and they, without threat or reward, God still works miracles, right? got dudes from the youth group to go and just clean all of that stuff off the hill. Right? I mean, there's families who are opening their homes to fellowship groups. There's making meals. Y'all are some meal-making people. Praise the Lord. I mean, for, for babies and for sicknesses and surgeries and all kinds of stuff. There's some of you who are helping with missions partners and, 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 and security team and all kinds of so many things. And organic service is, is wonderful and it's essential. And we strongly encourage you to continue to do that. But one of the things the elders would like everyone to consider at least is as you think through how can I serve is to begin thinking about a, a deacon-led ministry. There's a number of deacon-led ministries in the coming weeks. There's going to be a real formal email to come out with, hey, here's lots of opportunities. Here's the deacons. Here's the contacts. Here's a way that you can, to where if you're like, okay, I hear this and I want to be eager to serve to where you can jump in with children's ministry. Oh, there it is again. Um, so I'm not sure if you've noticed, there's a ton of children here, which is why we, this is part of the family here, is God has given a lot of kids. And as one who has contributed significantly to that number, uh, <laughs> just want to say thank you for those of you who do serve, but want to say to those of you who aren't, I just want you to know, like, if everybody would jump in, the amount of time that everybody would have the opportunity to serve back there would be drastically reduced. It serves everyone, not just the children and the families. Or the greeting and integration ministry, or the AV team. AV team, God bless you. We need more people who know techie stuff, okay? The member care team, the community care team, ordinances. Well, you'll, see, you'll hear more about these in the days ahead, but I encourage you to think, is there a way that I could serve directly with some of those? Are you fervent in spirit in your service of the Lord? And and to be clear, service of the Lord isn't only tangible, practical service. Verse 12 actually gives us three commands that I think in light of the context here seem to help us understand some vital examples and descriptions of ways that believers should be serving the Lord. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Now all three of these commands, by the way, are communal commands. They're not just individual, you and the Lord. It's us and the Lord together. So the command is rejoice in hope, Delray Baptist Church, which means that corporately together, one of the ways we serve the Lord is because we know that Christ defeated death, rose from the dead, intercedes, and is soon approaching, 
That we need not fear whatever we face, but instead we can help each other have confident trust in the Lord. We can remind each other of, of scriptures and rehearse his faithfulness. We can help each other rejoice in hope. We help each other be patient in tribulation. As we, as we walk with Jesus together toward that celestial city, that, that day that Ben read about from Isaiah 25 where sin and suffering shall, and death shall be no more, as we're journeying there together and helping each other, there will be trials and troubles that come. And as they confuse and they disorient us, we help each other. We serve the Lord by helping each other not distrust the Lord, to not give up. We help each other to patiently endure, resisting, resisting the temptation to, to leave him and, and, and following the call to rest in him. We're patient in tribulation. We help each other. I know of a sister who, who recently came to, to another person and said, I'm really, really struggling. I just need you, tell me the truth about this situation. Because I've got so many ideas in my head right now that I know aren't true, but I just need somebody to tell me what God's word says about this. That's where we serve the Lord by helping one another in that way. And be constant in prayer. As we walk with Jesus, we persevere in prayer, pleading for wisdom and guidance and strength, remaining devoted to the Lord through prayer. So guard your own personal prayer times because Satan wants to steal it, but also corporately. We need to lock arms and pray together, asking God for, for help. Doing that with one another is a way that we serve, serve the Lord. And how do we grow in serving the Lord with fervent zeal? How do we do all of that? Well, we look to Jesus. John 13, 14. If I then, this is right after Jesus washed the disciples' feet. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus, the Lord of glory, took the, the place of a servant and washed the, dis the disciples' feet. So zealousness for the Lord flows from looking to Jesus and imitating how he has served us. Love one another genuinely. Serve one another zealously. And thirdly and finally, share generously share generously verse 13 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality share generously is the third point generosity toward others is a distinguishing mark of the christian for those who have been born again, there is to be a, a willingness and a desire to contribute to the needs of other Christians. The word there in verse 13, contribute, it comes from the word that we, we often use for koinonia, which means, uh, it means to, to have something in common, to, to take part in something to, to, together. Here in this context, it's to have in common whatever God has given you to have it in common with other believers. Listen to this from Acts 2.44. After the great conversion uh, there at the day of Pentecost and the church was, was birthed, they were, they were praying together, they were rehearsing the word together, they were in fellowship together, and they were being sacrificially generous toward one another. Verse 44 of Acts 2. All who believed were together and had all things in common 
and they were selling their possessions and belonging, belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had any need. They said, there's needs among us? I got yard sale time, right? Let's put it on eBay, Facebook Marketplace, whatever, the, whatever. They're going to start selling what they had in order to help others. This is not a case for socialism, okay? It's a, it's a biblical portrait of practical love in the church. The church is not just a social club. We're to be a family who practically cares for one another. If one of us is hungry, we're supposed to feel the burden to say, they're not going to be hungry for long. I'm gonna, what can we do to help? Not just a meal, but what's going on? How can we, how can we come around you? If, if, if one of us is short on clothing, we feel the burden to help. We enter in. Listen, let's go shopping. All right. I can't take you shopping because I don't have any money either, but we're going to find somebody. We're going to reach out and tell, tell the church and the member care team be like, we, we'll, we'll make this happen, okay? No shame here. Let's go. If one of us is without shelter, do we feel a burden? You can't sleep in a yard. No, we're going to help you. We're a family. Listen to this from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Oh, you need something? Oh, man, I'm going to pray for you. Let me, let me pray right now, all right? Lord, help him. Amen. All right, got you. I'll be praying. He's like, is that it? Like, thank you for praying for them. Praise the Lord. Prayer is very, very important. But now be the answer to that prayer. How can you, if you got stuff and they need stuff, give them stuff? Like, why else you got it? To collect it? It's all going to burn anyway. Like, you got it to give, he says. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We are not to just to be a people who talk theology, who preach sermons that are true, that everybody can go, yeah, that's, that's true. Praise God, true sermons, good. But it's supposed to translate into real living. You've got to back it up with love and deed, and deed and truth go together. They're inseparable friends. I asked Kelly if I could share a little bit of of her story uh, here at, at Delray Baptist, and she, she said she was happy for me to do so. So, Kelly Ruiz, um, Kelly Ruiz, a number of years ago, we met her through uh, Assist Pregnancy Center, um, and she's now Kelly Joshua. We'll get to that in a minute. But we met Kelly Ruiz through Assist Pregnancy Center. She had an, an unplanned pregnancy and was seeking wisdom of, of what the next steps were. Well, that's one of our ministry partners, and the, they reached out to us and said, hey, we have a young lady here who seems very eager to try and do the right things, but she needs some people to walk alongside her. Her relationship with her family is very hard, and do you have anybody? And in, in the grace, yeah, in, in the kindness of the Lord, uh, Esther Sherrard and uh, Jeremiah and Ashley Holston, um, who are both yeah, dear friends who've moved on to other works in the, in the area, they, they began meeting uh, with, with her. And then Kelly began coming on Sundays. She, yeah, she joined Delray Baptist, 
and she became part of the family. And because she's family, we, we wanted to walk with her. And there were, there were different seasons that were really hard for Kelly. And she'll, she's happy to share her own story with you. But I just want to say this church stepped up and generously um, and graciously helped her. There were different seasons where she needed money for gas and people, people gave. Needed some help with groceries. People gave. Four or five different families here in the church at different seasons when she's, she's needed a place for she and, and Kaori to, to live. Welcome into their homes. Kelly's relationship with her mom is hard, so she didn't have family in the area who, who, could, who could help. She also said, I need help with schooling decisions. And because of her, her immigration status, was not able to, didn't qualify for a lot of scholarships. So members of this church privately, generously helped, helped her with, with her tuition. And in December, she graduated. And she got a full-time job. And then she got married. Boom, boom, boom. Praise the Lord, right? The Lord was so kind. And you know what? I don't say that so we pat ourselves on the back and feel good. I just want you to know that's what practical love looks like for people. And Kelly, I just want to say, like, the way that you've grown in the Lord, like, you're not the same girl as when you showed up. You, you have grown and flourished into, yeah, a, a radiant sister. And it's been a joy to watch you trust the Lord. And there's lots of stories of that sort of thing that happen here. And that's the sort of thing that we want to, want to see fostered all the more. And I want to say that overall, there's a very generous spirit here at Delray Baptist Church. If you're new to this church, I pray that you'll be able to experience that in lots of different ways. Yet, I think we can continue to, to grow in it, right? So if you're like, okay, well, I, I, want, to be, I want to be generous, how do we do that? Well, we have, our, we have your normal giving to the church. We have a benevolence fund that you can give to. Um, Obviously, you're never, if, if you just know of a need, you don't need a permission slip to go help, jump in, serve people. People do that all the time here. But I would echo what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Concerning brotherly love, it's that same word, the Philadelphos word, that indeed is what you are doing. Delray Baptist, it's what you are doing. But we urge you, do this more and more. So Delray Baptist, however well you're being generous, be all the more generous. I'm going to come back to our, our statistics that the elders were thinking about. I want to be really clear. I don't know who gives what here at the church. There's a team that, that helps, you know, with the finance and all that kind of stuff. But we have 391 members total. There's 369 in the area. Of those members in the area, it appears that 79 members have not given in the past year. We're going to put their faces up. No, I would never do that. Totally. Some of y'all have been at churches that do that stuff. We are not going to do that. Sorry. If that was triggering for anyone, sorry. I'll buy you lunch afterwards. But, but that's over 21% of the church who's not given anything in the past year to the work of the ministry here. And then there's some 17% who are members here who have never given to the work of the ministry here, as far as we can tell. Now, there may, maybe you're giving in cash, maybe you're giving in ways that are not traceable, you're convicted of the right hand, left hand, don't let it know thing, and that's, that's between you and the Lord, that's great. If, you've been, if you're new here, you're like, there it is, that Baptist talking about money. I just want you to know, 
we do not talk about this much. We talk about when it comes up in the text. We just don't harp on money very much at all here, which, which actually, I'm not sure if it's been wise pastorally. Sometimes I just want to not be that kind of pastor who's always like, well, talking about money. But Jesus was that kind of pastor. Like when you read through the, New, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus is talking about money all the time. He actually talks about money more than he talks about hell. And the reason is because money is a tool that can be wonderfully helpful for a lot of good, and it can also be an idol that can send a lot of people to hell. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You can't serve two masters. It's either money or God. So I just want to say, if you're part of Delray Baptist Church, one of the things we want to normalize more is that this is part of discipleship conversations. So it's not just, hey, how's your prayer life going? How is your Bible reading going? Are you looking at things on the internet that you should not? Are you honoring your commitments that you've made? Are you a very good employee? How are you doing with money? And processing that together is part of normal discipleship. And I think the fact that it makes people freak out highlights how much of an idol it is for us. Wherever you got that your credit card statement and your bank statement are just private, I just want you to know that's not in the Bible. That's Americanism. Your credit card statement, your bank account statement are theological statements. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your spending will be also. This is why it's important. So, if you want to talk about this, I'll full transparency. The past six months in our family, we got behind. There were some, there were some, uh, some things that needed to happen at the house and started putting it on a credit card. And, I mean, just it ha- it's expensive to live around here. And things just happened quickly. And we got to a place where Team Kel had to put a pause on everything. We are like, frozen, everything. It's like, you're going to eat half of that tonight. We're gonna, it's not that bad. No. <laughs> Seriously, I want to be very clear. The church is very generous to us. We are, we are well taken care of. We do not need anything. God is supplied in full measure. It was an issue of stewardship. Life was busy. We got behind. But we had to stop. And this has been very convicting for me. And it really hit me because there was a situation where we wanted to help somebody and we, didn't, we couldn't do it. And that bothered me because I knew we had been given resources from God to do it and we just couldn't in that time. So I just want you to know nobody's above this conversation. So I'm having this conversation with people. Like, I open my books and be like, here I am, help me. And sometimes it's embarrassing. I just want you to know everybody's in process here, okay? And, and to be clear, we are well taken care of. We don't need anything, please. Um, but, but some of you are in need. We can't help one another if we don't know about one another's needs. So please, reach out to the member care team and say, hey, that thing that we were talking about today with the money, I actually think that we're in need. Or, hey, listen, I, I know there might be some people who are in need. We want to help. Whichever side you're in, wherever you are at this season, please, this is the call to do so. Contribute to the needs of the saints and finally seek to show hospitality. We don't, I couldn't think of another way to say this. It sounds a little crass, but we don't share just our loot, but we also share our lives. It had to, anyway. <laughs> The word hospitality here 
is, it, it means to welcome strangers, show hospitality. Now, you want to hear a wild verse? Listen to this, 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near. The end of the world is coming. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So don't get distracted so you can keep praying. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. There's that same word. Since love covers a multitude of sins, we're not going to get hung up on all the things we could fight about, what we're going to forgive one another and all this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's the end of the world. So resist sin so you can be fervent in prayer and forgiving one another so that you can spend time together in your homes. That's not what I would have put in there. Like, that's the verse? Show hospitality? And he says, without grumbling. Isn't that good? He's like, he knows y'all, right? Like, oh, i got to clean the bathroom. Like, no, you don't. Just, you know, just don't. Anyway, show hospitality. The end of the world is coming. Open your lives to one another. Because what happens in those moments is gospel life. You talk about Christ, you share what he's done, you pray together, you, you dream big about how we're going to reach our neighborhood for Christ. Spend time together, he says. A number of years ago, there was a couple who moved here from upstate New York, Bill and Katie Deckard. They were burned out from their time of him being a pastor. It was, they needed a place to be refreshed, and they came here to the church with the intent to do the internship the following year. And they just were hungry for relationships. They needed people to pour into them. And I don't say this to shame anyone, but they said for months they showed up on Sunday and had almost no one speak to them. Now, that was hard for them, but they began to pray. And they made a decision. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start inviting people over. And so they requested for them to have the official list of new members who came in, and they were going to invite people over for, for a meal. For, for a season of, of about two years, anybody who joined during that season got a personal invitation from the Deckerts to come over and eat. How many of you have ever been to the Deckerts' house or got an invitation? Okay. All the rest of them went to the church plant with them. But uh, <laughs> it worked uh, <laughs> for good reason. Um, when I talked to Bill about it, he said those were hard days. Because we really needed somebody to just love us. They said, though, when they were praying about it as a family, they knew they had a decision. They were either going to get bitter about it and just leave. Or they said, you know what? We're going to become what we wish others were for us. We see a need. This is obviously a need here. So rather than turn it inward and frustrated and I'm out, they said, we're going to be that. And they were that. And it changed the culture of the church in a very wonderful way. And they are still hospitable now. Dory Baptist, I think you do this well. Some of us got in ruts during the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. It's over. Like, there's always going to be stuff. that There's always going to be excuses. Now is the time to welcome one another again into your home. Some of you do this well, but all the more. How do we grow in generosity and hospitality then? I want to do this well, just like everything else, we look to Jesus. Romans, 12, or Romans 15, 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We love because he first loved us. God the Father has been generous to us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? Jesus, the Son, has been generous to us. Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
The Holy Spirit has been generous to us. Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has given himself generously, graciously, sacrificially, and as we behold him, as we behold our God, it moves us to do the same. 2 Corinthians 8, let your love also be genuine, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich, rich in Christ. And now with the riches that we have in him, which is not just physical stuff, material stuff, we share lives and gospel life together, and God uses that to fuel perseverance so that we can help each other to make it home to that land that Ben read about in Isaiah 25, where death will be no more, and the Lord will set a banquet with well-aged wine and good food, and we will forever not just eat, not just feast, but fellowship with him and with one another. So between now and that day, may we be marked by, by love. May we love genuinely. May we serve zealously. May we share generously, imitating Jesus until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for the way that they do so much of this so well. Lord, it is, it is a joy to serve with them and among them. Lord, I have been so helped and encouraged by so many of them over the years, blessed personally. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But Lord, we pray all the more. Would you move us all the more to be a loving people, a service-hearted people, a generous, sacrificial, hospitable people. Lord, I pray for anybody who felt shamed by anything that was said today, that they would not, they would not be tricked by the devil into some sort of unnecessary guilt. But Lord, also, if there's been appropriate conviction, we pray that you would let that, let that not go away and that you would help them to do the, the business that they need to with, with you. Lord, would you help us as a, as a church family to love one another well as Christ has loved us. And might that strengthen our resolve and our faith to one day, soon and very soon, see your face. Oh, in that day, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen.